Good morning. Pray um, that God's peace and grace be with you in abundance this morning. We want to continue in our series of Our World Needs You. And to begin this message this morning, I just want to tell you about a conversation that I read about that took place between two young pastors. They were associate pastors at two different churches that were near each other. And their pattern was that on Tuesday mornings, they would get together and they would talk about what happened at their church the previous Sunday. One particular Tuesday morning, morning they came together and one of the pastors, he was really excited. He said, I got I to tell you what happened Sunday. So what, 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 what went on? He said, well, Sunday, I got word right before service began that the pastor, the lead pastor, fell ill and would not be able to come and preach and I would have to preach. Uh, you know, that's, that's um, anyway, you can kind of get the tension there. So his friend said, well, what did you do? I mean, you short notice? How did you handle that? He responded, he said, well, first thing I did was I prayed. I think that's a good idea. He said, and God gave me an idea. His friend said, well, what was the idea, man? Because, you know, my pastor's been looking kind of sickly too lately. I don't know when this might happen to me, you know. He said, <laughs> he said well, after the worship service, it's time for the preaching. I stood up and opened my Bible and I read from Matthew 26 that account of when Jesus appeared before the Sanhedrin. This was after his arrest and before his crucifixion. He said, I read that little short scripture. I closed my Bible and I took the microphone and I put it right in the center of the congregation. And I said, I want all of us to imagine, and I invite you to do this as well. Imagine that you were there on that day. When there Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin and all of his accusers and asked if he was claiming to be the Son of God. He said, and I told the congregation, I said, now, you have an opportunity to be a witness on Jesus' behalf. You can come up and you can share what Jesus has done in your life. that would make it beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is who he says he is. He said, well, how did it go? He said, well, it was real quiet at first, much like it's quiet in here right now, because y'all thinking I might take this microphone and bring it down there, but I'm not going to do that. He said, but I just knew God wanted me to do this, so I stayed with it. And one by one, people came to the microphone and they shared testimony of what God had done in their life. And they said it was one of the best worship services I've ever been in my life. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to do that this morning. I don't know. Maybe we'll do it sometime in the future. But here's the thing. Anytime we share the actual experience about what Jesus has done in our life, it has a tremendous impact on others. This morning, the title of this message that I want to share with you is Our God, Our World Needs You and the Power of Your Testimony. You know, research bears this out. Statistics tells us that three-fourths of all new believers made that decision because a friend or a family member showed them, demonstrated to them, told them in some way, shape, form, or fashion how Jesus has changed their life. And that person because of what they saw, had hope that Jesus could change theirs too. Well, this morning, 
I want us to look at a text from the book of Acts in which the Apostle Paul shares his personal testimony. And I want us to look at this in an attempt to answer the following question. What is it that gives a personal testimony its power? What makes a testimony effective? I think if we look at this text in Acts, we can glean information that will answer these questions and inform our own testimony that we have. Before we get into this, and by the way, it's Acts chapter 26. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. We'll be getting there in just a minute. The 26th chapter of Acts. But let me, set, let me give you the setting. The Apostle Paul, back in chapter 9, had this great, this, this magnificent, wonderful conversion experience. You might be familiar with it. He was on the road to Damascus when his light blinded him, and he fell off his beast, and he was blinded, and, and he heard Jesus' voice, and he was transformed. He was converted. He went from being Saul to being Paul. He went from persecuting to preaching. But along the way, some things began to happen because he began to share the gospel with not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. And some of the, Gen some of the Jewish people took issue with the message that he was preaching. And a couple of chapters before this, he was in prison because of his preaching and his belief. And was given over to a governor by the name of Felix. And Felix couldn't find any fault with him, but he had pressure from the Jewish people, so he decided to keep him in jail. And, you know, the Bible tells us that really he was hoping that Paul would just try to bribe his way out of jail. That way he can charge him with bribing, but Paul didn't fall for that. He stayed in jail for two years. Felix was reassigned. Another governor came by the name of Festus, and the Jewish leaders came to Festus and said, we need to put this man on trial. He's in Caesarea by now. We need to put him on trial because he's preaching things that are against our religion, and we need to crucify him. But Festus, too, could not find anything wrong with Paul. He couldn't find any reason to do this. And so Festus was going to honor Paul's request to be tried in the Roman court and be before Nero himself. But he felt he couldn't send them to him if he didn't have a charge that he could charge him with. King Agrippa came to town along with his wife Bernice. And Festus asked Agrippa to hear Paul. And he might be able to determine what he had done wrong. So this is the setting. As you can tell, there was some chaos in the world in which Paul existed. Along with all the things I just mentioned, Agrippa was one of these kind of kings that was corrupt. He came from a line of, of Herods. You know, the first one being the one who killed all the infants because he was trying to eliminate the Messiah because he heard that he was going to be born. That was his great-grandfather, and his, his grandfather was one that beheaded John the Baptist, and his father was one who would kill Peter, and he was a corrupt man himself, married to Bernice. And this is Paul's situation. I want to, with that setting in mind, remind us that Jesus had said that Paul would be in this situation in chapter 9, verse 15 of Acts, doing that conversion experience. 
The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So undoubtedly, when Paul was called up to stand before Agrippa, he probably remembered those words because here he was before kings. What would Paul say? What words would come out of his mouth? That's the setting. And now with the setting, with us setting that, I want us to look at the text, and I want us to literally look and listen to the text this morning. We're talking about Acts 26, verses 2 through 29. We're going to utilize the visual Bible this morning. This visual Bible will let us, be, let us see this scripture dramatized as Paul shares his testimony with all of these people. Please watch the screen. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you, to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers, that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, Now, get up and stand on your feet. 
I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. He shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. <laughs> I am not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long? I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. A powerful testimony indeed. In fact, until Festus interrupted him, he had all of them captured by his testimony. The king, Agrippa, listening intently. Why did they do that? What, command, what, what, what compelled them to give this chained prisoner the time of the day? What makes a testimony like this so powerful. I want to talk about that for a few minutes. What makes a testimony like that so powerful? First, a personal testimony like this enables us to identify with people. In verse 4, Paul began sharing that day. He looked at the Jewish leaders out there and he, he told them, I was once like you. I was a Pharisee like you are. Perhaps he recognized some people out there in the audience that went to school with him, you know. Said, yeah, you know me. I know you. He even identified with King Agrippa. 
In verse 26, he said, you, you're familiar with these things, king. See, we, we connect when we hear testimonials. I mean, look at television commercials. You know, there's a commercial out about a, a mom who has these kids. It's getting dirty, you know, outside playing, and they got the school clothes dirty, and they got the white socks dirty, and now she's got to wash all this stuff. And what does she do? She discovers that it's all temperature cheer. So she can wash all these clothes with one detergent. And moms all over the world go to the grocery store to buy this all-temperature cheer because they heard this testimony of this woman with these children that had to get the clothes clean. We connect with testimonies. We do. It's why some of us, we, 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 we love to read biographies more than we love to read essays because we identify with people's stories. It's like some of you all, you remember the illustrations from the sermon more than you remember the sermon because we connect with testimonies. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's fine. Charles Swindoll puts it this way. The skeptic may stop his ears to the presentation of a preacher and the pleadings of an evangelist, but he is somehow attracted to the human interest story of how you, John Q. Public, found peace within. Personalize that. Think about it. There's some people that we know that we're not, we're not coming here and hear a message, hear a preacher, or God forbid, go to hear an evangelist, but they will be attracted to know how you found peace within. Remember, when we share how Jesus changed our lives, other people will listen, even more than they will listen to me. You know why? Because a lot of times it's easier for them to identify with you. Second reason, a second secret to a powerful testimony is this. When there's been some preparation. Yes, preparation. Paul was prepared for this opportunity. Yes, he had been in jail for two years. He had a lot of time to think about it. But if we read the scriptures between chapters 22 and 26, Paul testified in several different situations before several different audiences about what Jesus had done in his life. He told this story about his conversion in different scenarios. So when he stood before Agrippa, he was ready. He was prepared. He knew his story. He had it down. We need to prepare our testimonies. Yes, we do. If, if we're going to be effective of sharing the gospel, sharing what Jesus has done in our life to others, we need to prepare for it. And I want to talk about that preparation for just a minute. See, we, want, we need to prepare because we want to be understood. Therefore, our testimony needs to be logical. We want to be understood so it should be logical. As we look at, as we heard and we read chapter 26 of Acts, Paul pretty much organized his testimony in three different, in three different ways. And we can learn this lesson. First thing, first thing he did, he told what his life was like before he met Jesus. Then he told the events that led to him becoming a Christ follower, what happened on that Damascus road. And then he ended his testimony by telling the difference Jesus had made and, is still, and was still making in his life. And we can take that strategy for ourselves. We can do the same thing with our own testimony. All we have to do is first tell what our life was like before Jesus, 
and then go to where Jesus came into our life. But don't leave this out. Tell them about how Jesus has made a difference in your life and continues to make a difference in your life. We also need to prepare because we want to prepare because we want the change that occurred in our life to be clear. So we have to be specific. Now, hear me on this. See, when we're telling the testimony, as, as, as Paul told this testimony, he left it beyond a shadow of a doubt. When, in Acts 26, verses 14 through 15, he said, We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goals. Then I asked, Where are you? Who are you, Lord? And the reply came back, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul made sure that Agrippa and all those that was listening knew that it was Jesus, the risen Jesus, that made the difference in his life. And in our own testimonies, we should get to the point and we should not shy away from it. We need to let people know that it was Jesus and Jesus alone that's responsible for the change that you have seen in me. Now, now, again, I want to be careful here. I'm not talking about just sharing with them, okay, I got baptized. That's good. That's good. Or I walked out. That's good. Those are evidences of what Jesus has done. At some point, you got to let them know that it was Jesus Christ without the shadow of a doubt. We need to prepare our testimony because we want it to be useful. So to be useful, it has to be practical. By practical, I mean in our testimony. Don't be promising things that, that we know it's not true. You know, we don't need to be promising, okay, well, Jesus came into my life and now everything is all right now because that's not the way it goes. No, is it the way it went for you? It's not the way it went for me. And it's not the way it went for Paul either. Look at what Paul says in verses 21 through 22. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But then he goes further. But God has helped me to this very day. See, our testimony should show people when we prepare it and we're ready for it. It should demonstrate to the people, but yes, God came into my life. But no, all the things didn't go away. I'm still struggling with some stuff. But you know what? Keith said it when he, in, his, in his brief remarks out right after worship. God enables us to walk through these things with his power and his grace. As far as preparation is concerned, one more point, and I'm going to move on. We want our testimony to produce results. So therefore, it needs to be warm and genuine. It's hard to convince somebody about the sheer joy and excitement of knowing Christ if we're wearing the face of a prison warden, you know? Let, let, let our excitement show. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I remember what it was like before. And I know what it's like after. And I can't help but get a little smile on my face when I think about what God has done in my life. And when I'm sharing my testimony with somebody, I need, you know, that, that, I can't help it. It's just going to shine through. Paul did this. He, 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 he was warm and he was genuine. You remember the beginning of it when he was talking to him? He addressed him. He said, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you. He went on to ask him, he said, I beg of you to listen to me patiently. Our testimony needs to be prepared. 
Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm serious about it. We need to prepare our testimony. We never know. And I believe God always has given us somebody around us that he, we, we don't realize it sometimes, but he's putting people in our lives all around us that if he would just open our mouth and share our testimony, it might be the very thing that would give them the hope of glory. Peter spoke about this in 1 Peter 3.15. He said, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. But do this with gentleness and respect. Testimonies are powerful because they are personal. Sermons are great. And if you know me a little bit, you know I love to preach. But you know what? Sometimes the world's been preached to death. And what some people out there outside, outside of this building, what they need to hear, they don't need to, they don't need to hear and they're not trying to hear. Hear me now. They're not, they don't need to hear and they're not trying to hear any sermons. You know what they need to hear? They need to hear your, they need to hear my well-prepared testimony. This is because some of the most convincing, unanswerable arguments on earth regarding Christianity is found in one's personal experience with Jesus. Look at verses 13 and following of the text that we've been looking at this morning. Paul said words, you use words like, I was on the road. I saw a light. We all fell. I heard a voice. Then I asked. It was personal. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. You know, there's a story I'm reminded of. This, this man went to hear an evangelist, one of these fiery evangelists. An evangelist was telling his, story, his testimony about how he got delivered from drugs and a life of crime. And now he was preaching the gospel. And the man went home that night. And he got down on his knees. He prayed. He said, Lord... I've never smoked weed. I've never been drunk. I, I, haven't, I haven't committed adultery, Lord. I never robbed a bank. I never lied to a grand jury. But if you can use me in, in despite, despite all of my shortcomings, would you do so? The point is this. It's good to hear somebody who has come out a life of sin. But you know what is even just as powerful, if not more powerful? to hear from somebody who Jesus kept from a life of sin. I put that in there because, see, sometimes we, we, we struggle by sharing our testimony because we compare it to these powerful, elaborate testimonies. And I'm not saying it's not true, but that's not my reality. But you know what? That's all right. That's your story. And I believe, I believe it all in my heart. God has somebody out there that needs to hear your story. Not my story, not his story, your story. Finally, a testimony is powerful if it can be seen. If it could be seen. People are more likely to be moved by your testimony if they can look at your life and see that Jesus has indeed changed you. Paul's testimony shows that. He bagged up the words that he was preaching that day that testifying to with his, with his actions. 
You know, he's set in prison for two years. And, and get this. He's set in prison for two years, and I believe as you read the Bible, the Bible gives us evidence that the reason why he stayed there so long because he refused to bribe his way out. He stayed there. People knew that. Plus, those people in the audience were familiar with Paul's life. They knew him before. Oh, he was a, he was a man that persecuted Christians with a vengeance. And they knew him afterwards. Verse 19 through 20. Remember what he said to Agrippa? So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. His walk matched his talk. As I was reading different things to prepare for this message, I ran across a pastor that did something that's kind of curious to me. He said, this reminds me of a sermon I heard one time. A sermon by a man by the name of E.V. Hill. Some of you might be familiar with E.V. Hill. He's gone on up to heaven now, but he was a powerful preacher out in Los Angeles. And I, I read that, and it kind of, I said, that's kind of interesting. And the writer said that, you know, it was a message that E.B. Hill preached several times. And the message had a title that was a question. The question was, when was God at his best? Man, my curiosity was up now. I had to go find this message. And I searched on the Internet until I found it. I found it, and... It's on YouTube, and I began to listen to it. I've listened to it about three times. I'm probably going to listen to it again this afternoon. Now, I'm not going to try to preach it, because as he said in his message, because of that clock on the wall, I don't have time to do that right now. But let me just give you the essence of it. Remember the title, When Was God at His Best? And if you ever heard E.V. Hill, you know he was, he was a magnificent preacher. And he began in Genesis when he told the story of creation. And he talked about how God created heaven and earth. And he described the earth in all of its magnificence and the heavens as its never-ending. And I was listening to it. I was actually listening to it, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this is kind of early on in the message. Is he going to say already that this is when God was at his best? He said, oh, no, I think not. This is not when God was at his best. So I kept listening. He went on. He went to Exodus, and he talked about the Israelites in captivity and how Jesus, I mean, how God delivered them out of captivity and he talked about the plagues and he talked about all the things that happened and how he delivered them out and made and changed Pharaoh's heart and how God did all of that and took them all through and, and, and split the Red Sea and kept them all through the wilderness. And he said, some of you may believe that this is when God was at his best and I'm over there listening. Yeah, he was, he was. He said, no, no, I think not. This was amazing, but this is not when God was at his best. By now, I'm hooked. I'm listening. I got to get to when, when, is, when was he at his best? He went on. He talked about Jesus himself. 
how Jesus was born of a virgin Mary, could have came to this earth any kind of way, but came through a virgin birth, laid in a manger in a borrowed state in a stable. And he said, this is how God chose to come to see about us. This is the God that we serve. And I've said, oh, surely he's going to say it now. This is when God was at his best. He said, oh, no, 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 I think not. That was something else, but that wasn't when God was at his best. Even his resurrection. He said, no, that's, that's not when God was at his best. By now, I'm, I'm through. And I'm like you. E.B., tell me, when was God at his best? And he came to a point in his message. He said, you're probably by now thinking, asking the question, when was God at his best? You know, when we create, when we, when we create tension, we have, we have attention. When we create tension, I think I got your attention right now. And let me tell you how he ended that message. He said, no, God was at his best. One Thursday morning, when God of the universe came down to a dusty road in Texas and saved a little 11-year-old boy that needed to surrender his life to the Lord. I was listening to it, that message sitting at my computer. I had to push back and just do me a little shout. Because it reminded me when God was at his best in my life. Yeah. It was one day, I can't tell you what day it was, but I can tell you what kind of day it was. I can tell you what kind of day it was. It was a day when when an army veteran who thought he had life by the handles finally, finally had messed up his life so bad that he went to a church and he went down and kneeled down on the altar like this. And said, Lord, save me. And he did it. That's when God was at his best in my life. And you know, it doesn't end there because he's still at his best. Because he keeps, he keeps me. And he keeps me. And he keeps me. He's kept me all this time. And I know some of y'all got testimonies like that. And that's what the world needs to hear. He needs to hear that testimony. Paul hears that day saw and heard an example of God at his best. And he heard, they heard it in a way that obviously changed this former Pharisee. And I'm sure it changed some of those that was listening that day. It got Agrippa's attention. I hope you remember just a few minutes ago. I know that was a dramatization of it, uh, you know, just acting it out. But I was struck by the way Agrippa was looking. I believe it's almost accurate. Because when you read the scripture, Agrippa was listening. You remember what Paul asked him? You believe, don't you? You believe, don't you? Unfortunately, Agrippa and Bernice and Festus, they got up and they left out. But beloved, there are people all around us. People all around us that I am convinced that are just waiting to hear your story, to get hope that God would change their lives like he's changed yours. Those that's praying today, those that are coming to the altar to pray for others, would you come and take your positions now? Dwayne's going to come out and give us a little music. We're not going to do a a, a song to end because I want us to sit with this for a minute. I have a couple of questions that I would love for you to consider as you sit quietly. First question is simply this. Have you allowed God 
to be at his best in your life? Simple question. Have you allowed God to be at his best in your life? If you can't answer that question in the affirmative, today is the day of salvation. I invite you when we stand in just a minute to come out of your seat and come down that aisle. Remember, it's not so much about coming down the aisle. It's about what God is doing in your life. This would be a great day to do that. Second question. Does your testimony show it? You can say, yes, I have. I, my, my, I have allowed God to be, the, be at his best in my life. I've allowed him to come into my I've surrendered to him. Well, here's the question. Does your testimony show it? You know, I'm very much aware. We're in, a, we're in an environment right now that, you know, we shy away from sharing testimony. We, we say things like, I don't know what they're going to think. I don't know what they might think of me. Maybe it's not politically correct to share it. But I believe God has people all around us in our lives just waiting for us to share what he's done for us so that they will have hope that he would do it for them. The third question, the third and final question up there. Does the way you live and talk about your life make others hopeful that God could do the same for them? Does the way you live and talk about your life. Sometimes we're so heavy on the problems and the injustices and the things that people have done to us. But do we ever get to the point of what? But Jesus. But Jesus. So with those three questions in mind, and these people up front ready to pray with you. I'm going to ask us to stand. I'll simply ask you. The altars are open. People are ready to pray with you. Just respond as God will lead.